Jesus, in making his way to Jerusalem in preparation for his crucifixion, we find in the scripture two major themes emerging. Jesus, on the one hand, is being revealed as a suffering servant, and on the other hand, is being revealed as the triumphant king. Jesus is, in fact, the servant king. The servant king. I guess a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Taiwan for work. I flew into Taipei, the capital, and then I flew down to the industrial city of Tainang in the south. I was in Taiwan to commission an injection moulding machine for the company that I was working for. I guess most of my working life has been involved in servicing and commissioning of injection moulding equipment, whilst also working as a pastor in a bivocational ministry. I spent about a week in Tainang commissioning this injection moulding machine, and on the last day before flying home, the owner of the company took me to some historical sites in Tainang. Now, this guy was a very wealthy Taiwanese businessman. He spent much of his working life travelling around the world promoting his business. He even built his own hotel so that potential customers flying into Tainang would have five-star accommodation to stay in when visiting his manufacturing company. We arrived at this historical site and the businessman parked his car on this unmade, dusty piece of land that was the car park. An unkempt gentleman walked over. His clothes were dirty and torn. There were sandals on his feet and a bag slung across his shoulder to collect the money for the parking. As this businessman was handing the parking money to this parking attendant, the coins fell to the ground in the exchange. And so I leant down to pick up the coins. And as I'm reaching down to pick up these coins, this businessman grabs my arm and physically pulls me back, saying, don't bother to pick those coins up for him. He can do that. I guess for this businessman, picking up this money was below his dignity. After all, he was a multi-millionaire and this parking attendant was a nobody living on the poverty line. What arrogance. What arrogance. But this businessman was so caught up in his own self-interest that he couldn't pick up these coins for this parking attendant. And yet, as we read the scriptures, we see that the disciples on different occasions were in some way just as arrogant. When Jesus was celebrating the Passover that Matt was sharing about previously with his disciples, the disciples were sitting around the table waiting for the servants to come and wash their feet. Where are the servants? After all, it's not my job to wash somebody's feet. Where are these servants? And then Jesus proceeds to get up from the table and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus, the Son of God, kneels down in front of his disciples and begins 
to wash their feet. I don't know whether you've ever had your feet washed by somebody else, but my friends, it's a very humbling, humbling experience. It's interesting that in John's Gospel is the only Gospel that records Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And I wonder if the aged Apostle John in writing his Gospel is reflecting on a conversation that he and his brother James had with Jesus as Jesus was making his way to be crucified. So let's just listen to this conversation as it's recorded in Mark's Gospel. Thanks, Story. We're reading Mark chapter 10 and verses 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God give us understanding of this word. Thanks, Dory. This is the third time that Jesus is endeavouring to impart to his disciples that the purpose of him going to Jerusalem was to be crucified. Jesus was talking about his betrayal and his death. And James and John are thinking about who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand when he gets to glory. They were on a completely different page. A completely different page. James and John were thinking about their own self-importance and having a place of prestige. 
whilst Jesus is reminding his disciples that whoever wants to be great must first of all be a servant. Jesus came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In our culture, where there is so much emphasis on individual rights and self-interest, it's all about what's best for me. Why? Because I'm worth it. It's all about what's best for me because I'm worth it. And Jesus' message on servanthood is counterculture and in stark contrast to society's value. Jesus talked about servanthood and he demonstrated servanthood by his ultimate sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. The greatest act of service was giving his life on the cross for you and for me. Because of his great love, Jesus died on the cross. So what is the underlying characteristic that reveals Jesus' servanthood, that reveals Jesus' servant heart? In Philippians 2, we read this. But Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. My friends, it's Jesus' humility that reveals his servanthood, that reveals his servant heart. And for us, humility becomes the pathway to God. The word of God says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you and I want to draw closer to God, then it will be through coming to God in humility. Have you ever thought about the fact that when we are arrogant, and proud, we are in fact in direct opposition to God. God actively opposes the proud, but he gives grace, grace to the humble. The question that James and John was asking Jesus was motivated by pride, by arrogance, by self-interest, their desire was to have a power and authority in Jesus' new kingdom. They were afraid of being overlooked and wanted to get their request in first. In other words, they wanted the best seats. Listen again to their request. No, listen to their demand. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Let us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. The other ten disciples, the word of God tells us, when they heard this, were indignant with James and John. And we shouldn't assume 
that the other disciples' indignation stemmed from the fact that they thought James and John's question inappropriate, and it was inappropriate. After all, here is Jesus talking about his betrayal and going to the cross of Calvary, and James and John are just thinking, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? It was inappropriate, but their indignation most likely stemmed from the fact that they hadn't thought to ask the question first. And now they too were going to miss out on sitting next to Jesus in glory. It's interesting to note, my friends, that the middle letter of the word pride is I. And for these disciples, it was all about themselves. They were insecure within themselves and they tried to manipulate the situation to achieve a favourable outcome. But my friends, if you're anything like me and we're honest with ourselves, there have been times in our lives when we felt that we might miss out. Miss out on being recognised, miss out on being acknowledged, miss out on promoting our own agenda. When we felt insecure and needed to manipulate the situation to achieve a favourable outcome for ourselves. I know that I've done that. And we can all see ourselves doing that, I'm sure, at some time or the other. Andrew Murray, the great South African pastor and author, says this, There is nothing so dangerous as pride. Nothing so dangerous as pride. It was pride that saw God expel Satan from heaven. The word of God says in Ezekiel 28, So I drove you from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and your corrupt your wisdom because of your splendour. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendour. And it was pride, a desire to be like God, that led Adam and Eve to become disobedient to God. Satan said that God knows that when you eat of the fruit, with your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. John Stott writes this, Pride is more than the first of the seven deadly sins. It is in itself the essence of all sin. The essence of all sin. That's why God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So how can we, as God's people, grow in humility. Firstly, we need to revisit, I believe, our understanding of humility. Humility isn't thinking that we don't have anything to offer, putting ourselves down. Oh, poor me, I'm no good. I don't have any talents or gifts to offer. That is false humility. My friends, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less.
Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't putting yourself down. It is building others up. Humility isn't devaluing yourself. It is valuing other people. Jesus' humility was revealed in the way that he valued other people. Jesus' humility was revealed in his servanthood. I don't know whether you ever play golf. Are there people here this morning who play golf? One or two? Try to. Very good. I want to say this morning that actually golf will keep you humble. So taking up golf will keep you humble. Believe me, um, it will keep you humble. I remember years ago, um, Dory, my wife, brought me a new set of clubs. And so um, I thought to myself, well, with the new clubs, I will have some golf lessons. And so I thought to myself, new clubs, golf lessons, I'll be able to hit the ball 220 metres straight down that fairway. On the fifth hole, my friend said to me, you know, Mick, if this is what new clubs and lessons do, I think I'll keep my old clubs and forget about taking up lessons because your golf game hasn't improved one little bit. Golf will keep you humble. And so next time you want to go and play golf, why don't you just say to your wife or husband, I'm going to play 18 holes and grow in humility. It's a transformation, believe me. To grow in humility in all seriousness, first and foremost, I believe that we need to reflect on the cross of Christ. We do that at Easter time, but try to make it a daily spiritual discipline. To reflect on the cross of Christ. To reflect on the fact that Jesus died an agonizing death on the cross, that Jesus took our place on the cross, that he took my sin and your sin so that we could come into a relationship with a holy God and that our relationship with God could be restored. I came to Australia when I was 20, 55 years ago, and in the first week of arriving in Australia, I came to the Lord at Belgrave Heights on Easter Sunday, 55 years ago. And I am so grateful for the Lord that he called me to himself. I had no faith prior to coming to faith in him. I was so far away from God you wouldn't believe it. But 55 years ago, at Belgrave Heights, there was a gospel invitation given and I committed my life to Christ. I wasn't too sure what I was doing in that decision, but my friends, the Holy Spirit, took hold of me and filled me afresh and gave me a new purpose and a new life. So I came to Australia as a 20-year-old to a new country and a new faith and a new journey in faith. And that faith still continues 55 years later. And so, my friends, I want to encourage us daily to reflect on the cross, the cross of Christ.
He did this. He died on that cross because he loved each and every one of us. We've talked about the love of Jesus this morning, but he loves us so much that he went to the cross for us. The Apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus being found in the appearance of a man humbled himself and became obedient unto death on the cross. The cross will lead us to a place of humility. Again, John Stott reminds us why the cross of Christ has such a profound effect on us. He says this, Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing. It is your debt I am paying. Your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross of Christ. All of us, all of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in regards to self-righteousness. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. When we reflect on the cross, it leads us to a place of humility, but it also leads us to a place of gratitude and thankfulness. We, to grow in humility, we need to renew a spirit of thankfulness. The late Michael Ramsey, Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. And my friends, that's the type of soil we want to cultivate. We are thankful observers of the countless indicators of the Lord's provision. His presence with us day by day. His kindness, his love, his grace. An ungrateful person is a proud person. Every time we give thanks to God for his grace, his love, his forgiveness, it is an act of humility. Every time we pray, every time we pray, it is an act of humility because we recognise in that moment that everything that we have comes from God. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, says James. Let us daily seek to express our gratitude and thankfulness to God. How do we grow in humility? Reflect on the cross of Christ daily. Renew a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude. And lastly, reaffirm that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we worship, as we did this morning, we are declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are placing him in his rightful place. Now don't misunderstand me. It's not our affirmation that makes Jesus Christ Lord. Jesus is Lord whether we acknowledge him or whether we deny him. He is Lord. When we declare that Jesus is Lord, it brings us to a place of humility. 
we recognize that God has exalted Jesus and given him a name that is above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you ever wondered why Christ is used as a swear word? It's because Jesus' name is above every other name. People don't use my name as a swear word. They don't use your name as a swear word. They don't say, oh, Mick, or oh, Muhammad. It is because Jesus' name is above every other name that his name is used as a swear word. And my friends, there will be a day when every person who has ever lived will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. My friends, there will be a day when Richard Dawkins will bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. There will be a day when Vladimir Putin will bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. There will be a day when Tom Cruise and Adolf Hitler will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There will be a day, my friends, when every person who has ever lived will bow the knee and confess that this Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And we today, we have the wonderful privilege of choosing to do that. We choose to confess that Jesus is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and we bow our knees and our hearts before him today. This morning, I don't know many of you personally, but I just wonder where you're at today. You might find yourself in a place of worry or anxiety over something. I want to encourage you, declare that Jesus is Lord over that situation. Maybe you're facing uncertainty over a health issue. My friends, Jesus is Lord over that health situation. The Lord says, I am the healer. He heals today. Maybe you have family concerns and you just can't see your way through. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Maybe you have financial challenges and you don't know what the future holds. Jesus is Lord. We need to constantly take hold of the word of God and recognize that Jesus is Lord. Proclaim the word of God into situations. Jesus is our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord. He is in control. No matter what is happening around the world today, when we think where is God, my friends, Jesus is Lord and he is in control. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings 
to the glory of the Father. Lord, we thank you this morning. Why don't you just stand with me as I pray? Lord, we thank you this morning for yourself. We thank you for your presence, dear Lord. The Apostle Paul says that if Jesus is be not risen from the dead, then our faith is futile and in vain. We might as well all go home. But Lord, we thank you this morning that Jesus is alive. He is here right now. And we worship you and we bless you and we acknowledge you as Lord of Lords. And we bow our knees and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.